welcome to AI with Sally, a podcast that takes a closer look at some of the most interesting technology stories on artificial intelligence and machine learning. We'll hear about the latest in hardware and software that has a big impact on the world of AI. I'm your host, Sally Ward-Foxton. Welcome back to AI with Sally. In this episode, I'll sit down with the CEO of Sambonova, Rodrigo Liang, to talk about the effects of open source models on the AI industry, democratization of large language models, and much more. You can hear that interview with Rodrigo later in this episode. First up, here's some AI news you may have missed from eetimes.com. Cerebrus has open sourced seven trained GPT-class large language models, up to 13 billion parameters, for use in research or commercial projects without royalties. The models were trained in a matter of weeks on Cerebrus CS2 wafer scale systems in its Andromeda AI supercomputer. GPT-class models are notoriously large. GPT-4, which powers ChatGPT, has 175 billion parameters. Training these models is therefore limited to the small number of companies that can afford it, and it takes many months. The pre-trained GPT-class models offered by Cerebrus can be fine-tuned with a modest amount of custom data to make an industry-specific LLM, requiring a relatively small amount of compute by comparison. By open-sourcing the trained model under a permissive license, the idea is to help make LLMs more accessible to businesses and researchers alike. You can read the full story at eetimes.com. Do AI and functional safety mix? If you're in the world of automotive electronics, you'll of course be familiar with the concept of functional safety, which has extremely stringent standards to make sure electronic systems don't fail while in use. But how do familiar concepts like explainability and redundancy apply when AI is in the mix, whether that's for ADAS or for an autonomous vehicle? I spoke to the CEO of functional safety consultancy Retrospect, Michael Woon, to find out. If you want to read the full story, head over to eetimes.com where I've put a link on the podcast page. As data center AI workloads grow in importance, AI chips are getting bigger and bigger, and the amount of power today's complex processes need is getting bigger too. Today's high-end GPUs need as much as 700 watts. But delivering hundreds of watts into a tiny space presents several challenges, and the quality of the power delivery system can have a significant impact on the chip's performance. I spoke with some power conversion companies to find out what the trends are in this space and how they're innovating to make big AI possible. If you're interested in that story, head on over to eetimes.com. Can open source LLMs solve AI's democratization problem? Training GPT-4s reportedly cost more than $100 million, so this powerful technology isn't exactly open to everyone. Open sourcing trained models allows companies to fine-tune them with less compute power while adding a competitive advantage and keeping their proprietary data secret. Open source data sets like the Pile also shine a light on bias in AI training data. I think most people are in agreement that open source is good, but just how quickly can open sourcing trained models lead to further innovation? Check out my story on eetimes.com. Rackscale AI system company Sambanova has also been in the news recently. The company's trained a GPT model to be able to cite sources on the information it gives to allow GPT to be trusted for use in an enterprise environment. The company hopes this will allow enterprises to make better use of the stacks and stacks of data they may already have. I have a story on eetimes.com about Sambanova's version of GPT that tells the truth, but I also sat down for a chat with Sambanova's CEO, Rodrigo Liang, to talk about the company's strategy for open sourcing models, foundation models, and whether LLMs will continue to grow and much, much more. Okay, Rodrigo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sally. Thanks for having me. 
Sure. Um, I think last time you and I, you and I spoke in detail was probably kind of two years ago now. Um, and you, in the interview, you were talking about how AI will be bigger than the internet um, in terms of its effect and its impact on businesses. Um, are we at that point now? Are we approaching that point now? Or what's what's AI's impact on businesses today? You know, I think when the world started seeing all these different use cases that have been brought in over the last few months, where you can generate text with just a few prompts and you can um, you, you, you can ask, ask some questions and have very, very well-written responses back. It really opened the eyes to the world of what AI can do. And the interesting part is that's just a sliver of the potential that AI is going to bring to, to the planet. And so I actually think that this is like, uh, this is like early days of the internet. I would say, you know what it is? I would say this is like AOL. We're, okay. we're in the AOL days, right? Yeah. You know, the, uh, the excitement when people are logging in and creating their AOL accounts, right? And uh, um, and and everybody really uh, starting to make plans to figure out how this is going to uh, affect their business. But I mean, it was a surge of people coming online and, and figuring out how to actually get on the internet during that period. And, but looking back now, 20 some years later, looking back, we're so far from the full potential Right. Yeah. We had AOL time to now, like most of the Internet potential was still yet to come. Right. And so we're in a similar place where the full potential of AI is yet to come. And but just the glimpse, just the glimpse of it has already changed the world. Right. Um, It certainly has opened the eyes in the business people, but the youth. Right. The the teenagers, I mean, they are all into this already. Right. You're generating, generating raps out of for their friends. And I mean, all sorts of things like that. Right. And so that wave has already taken off and they've taken off on the consumer side with hundreds of millions of people engaging with it. And so I think it's a uh, so, so, so that floodgate has opened in a lot of ways. And I think I think companies are starting to figure out, well, what is their strategy? Right. What is their strategy and how how are they going to survive? really it's about survival of this technology transition that ultimately I think is going to affect every industry and every business in every industry. Yeah. 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 Um, You're saying, you know, the floodgate has opened. Uh, I think two years ago we were talking about how, you know, all businesses basically will adopt AI in some form. Um, And with this floodgate opening, with the popularity of ChatGPT now, is this the form that we thought would break everything or would get everybody's attention with NLP? Um, is this the same as what we thought two years ago? Yeah, I mean, two years ago, if you recall, we were you know we we're just starting to see these transformer models really take hold. Yeah, and NLP was very popular, and and and, and you know people were talking about Bird, Bird Large, and those types of models, right? And then uh, and then you you started hearing about these GPT models, and uh, and they're fairly small at the time, and you know and and even uh, our announcements and you 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 saw our show showcase um, uh, even uh, last year where we kind of talk about our GPT 13B right, which at the time was stated yeah 13B was a big deal right and uh, and, and how we were running uh, those models at such a higher performance than GPUs at the time and I think you were there you know, you were physically you, know, you yeah yeah you, you, yeah yeah but, <laughs> and uh, and and in uh, just what is what's nine months. Right, about nine, yeah. nine, ten months. Right, um, you got people doing 
175 billion, not 13 billion, 175 billion parameter models, now 400 billion parameter models, right? And now you're even seeing people revert back, right? Like the llama models, right? 65 billion parameter models, and you revert back to smaller, but much larger token size uh, uh, models. And so um, the, the, there is no doubt that um, language is model one for all enterprises. And, I, and there's a good reason for that. Um, if you actually look, if you actually look at what happens with every corporation, um, data at rest, despite the popularity of what you and I are doing here today with audio, right? despite yeah. the popularity, <laughs> the TikToks and the YouTube, you know, the, with the video, business data at rest, 99 plus percent sits in text. Yeah. Right. Data at rest is stored in text. Full stop. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yet we would like to kind of have this uh, a mix of videos and audios and all that. And there's more and more of that content. But business data at rest. I mean, just think about the volume of emails and uh, chats and slacks and right. You know, reports and PDFs and docs. And uh, I mean, it's in text. That's kind of the. Uh, and so so if you think about why NLP is so important. It's because that data all sits in text and 80 plus percent of that data is not accessible to you, right? Yeah. You know you have it, right? You, can, you could talk about data's new, new oil or whatever people are talking about, but end of the day, it's useless to you if you can't access it, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so what we're finding a great opportunity uh, for us, and I think with, with, with uh, um, with, with all the chat stuff that's been happening the last few months to open people's eyes to it, which is, what if I can give you access to all that information? What if you What if you knew what you knew, right? It's just that. What if you just knew what you knew, right? Or maybe knew what you forgot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very useful. <laughs> right? What you knew, knew what you forgotten, or maybe like knew what somebody else in your company knew, but they left. You know what I mean? Like, right, those types of things, right? Where, you know, people might want to say, why did we decide this eight years ago? Well, what was yeah. the reason? Can I change this decision or not, right? Yeah. And so those are the types of use cases that um, that are, are becoming so popular with companies to just say, well, I don't know how I can use AI for all these other things, but let me just start by creating my own knowledge base. Yeah. Well, let me just start there. Let me just start by figuring out how to ingest all the knowledge that I already own. I already have. It's my data. It's my customer's data. It's my engineer's data. It's my salespeople's data. It's my HR people's data, right? It's my own financial statements. It's my own, you know, all of that. Let me just ingest it into a model that then I can query against. Yeah. Why not just do that, right? Yeah. There are two issues that I know we're going to touch into, but as soon as I say that, the two things that people kind of start really getting worried about. The first one is, um, wait, do I have to disclose all this information? Do I have to air all my laundry to some outside person for me to get this capability right there? Yeah. Do I have to show you all my good employee data and bad employee data and good pricing deals and bad pricing deals? Do I have to disclose all of that to some third party, so to a vendor outside my firewalls in order to actually get this capability? That's the first worry. And the answer is no. There are different ways to do it. You have to be thoughtful, but you know that's one. Um, 
The second one that many people um, um, are just now starting to uh, understand is, wait, okay, so let's, if I do all that work, if I do all that work showing you all the data, training this model, who's the owner of that data at the end? Or, or, or owner of that model? In the exactly, end? yeah. Right? Like I've, I've given you all this information, but who owns that now, right? Yeah. And 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 by the way, there are many cases, as you know, being litigated on IP ownership and all that. You know, data is data. What what happens to the model that was learned from the data? What who owns that? Right. So there's a lot of litigation that's still to be settled. But many companies are starting to come to the question of, well, you use my data now. Do I own that model or do you own the model? But the model is based on my data, so who owns it? Right. So those two are becoming really really important questions and issues for um for companies as they start on this journey right they're building this knowledge base this capability that uh, that ai is going to bring to their corporations but very important questions to answer yeah speaking about you know who owns the model who owns trained models and who owns the original models um open source is becoming a big trend in AI, especially for LLMs um, at the moment. I know you've been working on uh, training some open source models as foundation models as well, but tell us about the impact that open sourcing large language models can have on the industry. Open source is good, right? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I like the parallels uh, uh, that, that we had back in the internet days because during that same period, what was the other thing that we saw? You know, if you remember, um, Sun Microsystems, of which I was, you know, I worked at Sun for for years, was the dot and dot com. Remember okay. that? That was you know, <laughs> they were the dot and dot com, which which was a great tagline. I never quite understood exactly what that meant. The dot and dot com. I guess you know the the you know since there was the internet and there was the infrastructure behind it, so I think that that's what it was, you know. And so it became the most popular platform. Right, then the internet age was the, the most popular platform for people to develop their application, enterprise applications on, right? And so um, Sun Spark servers everywhere. Solaris was the operating system that everybody wanted to use, the operating system. And you know, you had IBM with AIX, you had HP with HPUX, and you had, you know, I mean, you had all, all the different uh, flavors of operating systems. And then there was this tiny little skunk work thing called Linux, right? <laughs> People were like, ah, is that, that's not enterprise grade. That's not quality, whatever. I mean, but it's open source. It's free. And all, you know, but uh, you, you cannot, you cannot power the internet with something like Linux. That's just not going to work. Right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, fast forward a few years, what happened? Right? Open one. Open. Yeah, so, so the community is a very powerful thing to have when it comes to technology and when it comes to innovation. You know, any one company with the as brilliant of a set of people as we had inside Sun and all these big companies, right? The community has a lot of lot of really brilliant people all contributing to it. It's hard to overcome. And so, yes, the start may may May, may be a little frenzied, right? a little bit, like, <laughs> contributing some things are, you know, uh, for one use case, but not the other. But over time, what we've found as, as a technology industry is that open wins, right? Because you get the innovations of an entire world contributing to it and you, have, you don't have to go at it alone. 
Yeah. I think today what we see with AI is uh, is basically the Linux moment for AI, especially in the, in the case of NLP, right? That yeah. if you just look at the progression of the, the models over the last few months, even the last few months, I mean, the quality of these models are getting incredibly impressive, right? Yeah. And uh, inaccessible now to other companies that can build on top of it without having to invest the hundreds of millions of dollars to train them by themselves, right? And I think this is going to continue to happen. But but this is the thing. Just like Linux, you had you know um, um, you know you, you you had to get uh, uh, companies like Red Hat and other folks putting these things together in a way that you can actually deploy into enterprise enterprise environment enterprise environments in a way that you can manage it. You control it, revision, and all of those things that allows you to kind of have more predictability in an enterprise environment. I think you're going to have the same thing. And this is one of the things that we do at Samba Nova, which we are really working closely with the open community, but then bringing those and then putting them together in a way that allows them to be de- deployed in a more organized fashion into enterprise environments. So that part is still going to um, be a parallel to what happened with uh, operating systems. Right, but that said, we are a huge believer in the open communities. Just we're just gonna we, we think innovation wins that way. You're gonna see that the open community over time catches up and exceeds kind of what the um, what the uh, uh, in, independent companies do. And over time, um, the uh, the cost structures have to come to a certain point where uh, it gets commoditized for everybody and. Um, and so open community becomes such a key part of it just because the cost structures otherwise don't come down fast enough for people. And, and we're such believers in figuring out how to actually get AI in front of everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Company, and not every company will be able to afford hundreds of millions of dollars of their own investment to build their own GPT models. Yeah. Um. I see some of your uh, competitors open sourcing their trained models uh, and allowing, in some cases, even allowing uh, people to use it commercially for free. Um, what's your strategy on this and why? Will you be uh, making anything available for free for people to use? Well, we partner with folks and we'll have some things that we'll kind of uh, put, out, uh, um, put out. But our strategy really is partnering with folks to run their models, their free models on our platforms. Yeah. And so um, we recently announced, and I, I forget if I, I, I sent this to you, Sally, but we recently, <laughs> earlier this year, we announced the startup program where for generative AI startup programs, we're giving them a million dollars of free computing. As you know, with startups, I mean, especially these days uh, with the market being uh, the way it is, uh, raising raising money as a startup has gotten gone significantly harder this year than it was, you know, two years ago. Let's just yeah, say. definitely. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. Even even in the world of generative AI, which is the hottest of all of them, right? It's still mm-hmm. hard to. But what's what's more painful, and having been in that, in those shoes myself, right, as we started the company five six years ago, the most more painful is that money that you raise that's so hard, right away gets spent on computing. Right, right away is turned around, and you take a bunch of that money, and you have to uh, get get uh, uh, computing cycles somewhere, right? Yeah. And uh, 
as a, as a company that's actually trying to build new models, new, new products, build new tools, build new MLOps uh, uh, um, applications, those are all just really uh, expensive things that uh, impact startups. And so what we're focused really on is engaging with the community, engaging with the open community and finding ways that they can come onto our platform and we can we can give them a boost, right? And and so um, we started the program, you know, the, the number of applications flooded and we, we actually, to be honest, we can't quite keep up with all of it, you know, that now it turns out a million dollars of free computing is, a, is of interest to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Okay. <laughs> you know, and so we've been trying to do our best to kind of, you know, get get people on and get them, you know, the, the, get, get them uh, um, set up and, and going. Um, but it's something that we're very committed to just because it, it, you know, it's, uh, uh, we, we do think it's extremely valuable for, for it to be a vibrant, open community. And if we can actually help other startups continue to actually build great things, it's great for all of us. Right? It's yeah. great for all of us. But there's also a lot of value for someone over. We, we do this not just out of altruistic uh, motives, right? We, we do think that at this stage, we do have um, clients and customers that are looking for other solutions, Right, that yeah. we're a competing platform. We're a competing platform company. We do end-to-end computing from chips to the models, but that's really where it stops. If you start thinking about all the applications that sit on top of our platform, the tools that enterprises need, all the data management things that they need, all of the APIs and things that you might integrate into end applications for the business, all of those things are part of an ecosystem that we want to make vibrant and offer it, offer it to our customers through our partners, right? So we end up having, uh, uh, you know, being able to create an environment where our customers can take advantage of this community as well to kind of find other pieces of uh, their workflow that they need, right? And if we make it easier for them to come through and get it through our platform, it's easier for our customers to get up and running faster, right? And so so that's really ultimately the way that we try to engage. And, and over time, you see us kind of put more stuff out there in public, uh, 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 free as well from a model perspective. But really where we've been focusing on is really try to um, uh, enable enable the open community folks to run their stuff on our stuff and make it then accessible to our customer base easily and they customers get the value and then hopefully the open community gets a little traction as well. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of startups uh, who want to train their own models or work on their own models, um, and I think this goes for other types of enterprise kind of building on foundation models as well. I mean, you need your own model, right? It's so tough to differentiate if you're just using the API for chat GPT. Uh, you've got to have your own model today, right? Well, you know, this is so we're enterprise we're enterprise focused uh, AI company, and so this is the uh, this is the most important decision that executives and companies can make today. And probably, you know, I was talking to a customer uh, a client this week, and it was to the board. And what I told them, this is probably the most important decision the board of the company has to decide for themselves, right? Which is one. Is AI for your company? Because we're on this journey. This is kind of like the internet was a 20 year journey, 20 plus year journey. We're on a journey. It's a 20 year journey and we're on year two. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so on this journey for the companies, you have to decide is AI, is your is AI a tool or is AI an asset? Because if it's a tool, if it's a tool, I'm bringing a tool, I just want to use this so that my people are a little bit more efficient. Right. 
Yeah. That's one way to think about it. And some decisions you make over the next 10 years will have will have that baseline baseline understanding, you know, in, in terms of how you apply AI throughout your company for years, right? Save a little money here, save a little money there, right? Yeah. Um, if you think AI is an asset, meaning I will invest in this, I will use my knowledge of my customers, my knowledge of my industry, my knowledge of my product, my knowledge of our differentiation. I'm going to build it into a knowledge base and produce new products, produce new services, create better engagement, use it as a competitive asset in my business for years to come. And I want to invest every year in accrete value in that model so that over a 10-year period, this becomes the most differentiated asset that I have in my company, then you take a different strategy, right? Then you take a completely different strategy, right? And so uh, the, the parallel, again, let's go back to the internet parallel. The parallel I use is, look, do you see the internet is basically a web page for advertising, right? Or is it like Airbnb, which is the crux of your entire business? Is it like Uber? Is the crux? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's the center of my competitive differentiation, right? Yeah. That I can just access my customers faster, more efficiently, cheaper. And it's the asset that I have. Right. Yeah. So like Uber to use the Internet as an asset. Many retail stores use the Internet as just another vehicle to market their products broader, right? It's just a web page, right? And so so you have to think about them in, in that in that form. And I think you're gonna find the world will stratify. Some people will look at this AI is like, oh just give me give me AI so that I can have um uh, uh um a simple interface to do 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 something like what you're seeing today with people chatting to it. And, you know and that's uh, there are gonna be some businesses like that. I think what you're gonna find the uh, many businesses will come in and look at it as it's an asset for us. Right, it's something that we understand. We know our customers better than anybody else. We know our advantages better than anybody else. We're going to use this as a long-term investment, where we're going to build it into an AI model and then proliferate that capability throughout the corporation. Yeah. Right. And yeah. investments I make every single year into this model will accrete over time. Where if you buy a service. Any any training you have in your workforce to learn somebody else's service, if you end that service, you start back at zero. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you're not accreting, you're not growing the value you built into that model for yourself over time. You're just investing in training people to use somebody else's service and probably to some extent helping somebody else build a better product, right? But you're not building your own better product. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, you're the consumer, not the uh not the business. I get it. Um, yeah, exactly. that's exactly right. Yeah. Coming back to something we touched on earlier, which is the size of large language models. I know you said it's kind of backing off a little with Llama. Size has come down maybe a little bit. Um, do you see the size of LLMs continuing to grow? Is bigger still better? Or you know, how much further can it go? And what is limiting the size of these today? You know, the interesting thing is we've now recently, uh, we, we've attached size to parameter size. Right? Yes. Make the, yeah. Right. Oh, 176B, right, which is what we use. We use one blue, blue 176. Right? 176B 
is a bigger model than uh, 65B, which is a bigger model than 13B. Okay, well, that's one that for sure is one dimension, uh, an important dimension that, uh, uh, and, and you can definitely tell the quality with the same data sets. If you train, you can tell, definitely tell the quality difference between those models, right? What, what was interesting is over the last uh, few months, uh, and we're in an industry that's changing so fast. And one of the reasons why a lot of customers come to us because we can help filter a lot of this noise out and help people kind of just understand what's important and what's not important, right? But truly the size of a model, actually, I kind of summarize into three dimensions of okay. which parameter count is one, right? 175B is in fact bigger than 13B, right? <laughs> which yeah. is in fact than 7B. There's no doubt about that, right? The second dimension to it is token size that was trained on. Okay. Right. That you, if you if you um, if you train with more tokens with more data, the, the model quality gets better. Yeah. Right. It's just and, and and that's something you see with kind of the, the different people actually running these experiments that the, if you just train it longer, the smaller models can also be pretty good. But either way, it's cost. Right, if you're training them, right, you're training them broader with more parameters. That's cost that you have to go spend in in some cloud or something or somewhere else. If you train it for longer, that's cost, right? You know, and so uh, and, and 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 probably the third one, which I actually think is going to be the most interesting and most important one that most enterprises have to think about, is sequence length. Yes. And sequence length for your audience, you know, probably most of them understand, but this is where, you know, you can really think about, you know, today it's most of the models are 2K sequence. They're expanding them to 8K, 32K. We're going to go all the way to 128K um, uh, sequence length. As you really think about kind of the types of applications that you want to actually use, you don't want to be limited in context by this 2K sequence link, which translates to about 2,500 words on the input plus output, right? And, you know, that's kind yeah. of the limits of what, you know, what, what uh, the model can, you know, remember as a single context, right? And so, um, if you're generating contracts, 2,500 words is a very fast, it goes away really fast. As you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. It's a preamble, right? And so if you think about generating documents, generating, you know, a contract, generating things that businesses need, right? You need to train these models so that it can do that in a much, you know, um, uh, much broader context. And, and, and so now you're, now you're in the space of sequence length, right? And so, so you, it's really a multiplication of those three dimensions, right? And what do we see? Yeah, uh, we, we see the models hitting all the way to you know 176, maybe even several hundred. Now people are starting to feel like, well, the parameter count is oversized. Now I'm gonna, gonna you know, put on the token size as the variable, right? And so you see people pushing up into trillion tokens and things like that. And then you're starting to run into the, well, boy, that takes a long time to train. <laughs> That's really expensive to train. But then you start using these, uh, people want to go beyond chat, right? And then, you know, chat, I can do a few words, but I want to go beyond chat because enterprise applications, I want to interpret entire documents. I want to interpret, you know, uh, in, in, in entire threads of, uh, you know, we, we have somebody that you know, that wanted us to kind of uh, look look and interpret entire uh, football matches, and the, you know somebody just talking, you know, the announcer talking, you know, turn, tell, you know, tell me what ha what's happening, right? And yeah. so, <laughs> you know, and that's you know what what is it? Ninety minutes, ninety minutes of game, right? They're just uh, words coming at you, right? And so, 
So all those things are just really interesting use cases that will push the sequence link and the trends are bigger, bigger, bigger. All yeah. three of all three of those dimensions. So unfortunately for most users, I think you know the uh, the 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 growth of the models in those three dimensions is not only growing still, but it's growing in an exponential way because the three dimensions are all wanting to grow, right? Yeah. I said the account is starting to kind of hit some slowdown there, and people are kind of starting to think there are there other ways, but token size is definitely growing, and sequence sequence link is definitely growing, and so um, so the world, you know, we got to prepare ourselves. We we're going to need more computing. We're going to yeah. need more computing. We're going to figure out how to actually run this more efficiently, so that everybody can have their own GPT model, right? I think yeah. that that's everybody wants their own, right? Everybody wants their own privacy. Um, privacy protected model they don't want their data out there they don't you know they you know i i guess i gave away the uh, uh the, the answer to my earlier question of you know what do people you know people want to own their model our, our model is your data your model right if you turn yeah. on your data you know and so so i think that's the truth of it and so if you believe that uh, most people want to own their own model and they want the risk of their data being out in the open domain and having other people use that model in in a way to compete with them <laughs> right yeah. then yeah um, they're going to want to have their own. And so I think we need to figure out how to actually give everybody more efficient computing to do that. Definitely, yes. Um, one thing I spoke to your team about recently, we're speaking about Salmonova Suite. Um, you have an implementation of GPT that you've developed that can cite um, its sources. What are the implications of having a version of GPT that we can trust it to tell the truth, basically to not hallucinate or to tell us when it's hallucinating? Um, and are you encouraged by the the results of training that that model? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that are really important um, to understand with these uh, language models. and um and and we're starting to kind of get firsthand experience with them, right? that uh, uh, the two parts of this that are of interest to businesses and we're very thoughtful about exactly what we need to do. And by the way, you know, it's uh, some of this early stuff, just incredibly, incredibly valuable for us to just get technology out there for us as a, as a society to see how does it work? It opened a lot of eyes uh, as far as the capabilities. It opened a lot of eyes on kind of the, you know, exposures <laughs> that we have, right? <laughs> right security. Yeah. In hallucinations, right? I mean, the the word hallucination was kind of not really used in this context prior to this, right? Yeah, yeah. Hallucinate, right? And uh, um, and, and and it actually does some um, because it's trained on open data. Sometimes it says things it says things that you should not be saying, right? And, and, and yeah, the models can um, can get very angry, can get racist, can they all sorts of things. And so there are several things that we we are, you know are paying you know a lot of uh, energy. Uh, investing in once one is what you just talked about referenceability of the answer if i'm in a business and i'm searching well that's in the public domain or even in my private domain right and i ask a question of how long does a particular let's just i don't know like so some so the example of like well how long do we do i have to hold a particular package at the border of this place right how long does it have to sit there before yeah. i can Right? Yeah. You don't want it to guess. Right? You don't want it to guess. You don't want it to even be based on like social media most popular answer either. Right? Like, oh, that's probably a couple of weeks. You know, <laughs> business, right? If you're a business, you want to know exactly it's 21 days. 
and reference. So what we're trying to do here at Samanova is just be, give people confidence that when you provide an answer, it's a referenceable answer for business reasons, right? It's not the most popular answer in the, on the internet. It's not the, you know, the one, the, you know, because the model, you know, these uh, language models, they are, uh, um, um, it's a pleasing model, right? They want to please. And so, you know, if you, if you argue with enough, it's like, no, it's seven days, isn't it? Or like, it wants, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, but in business, no, you need to you need to be factual, right? And so this is something that we're investing a lot of time working on as well, trying to make sure that when we deploy these things, you can reference and say, okay, what did it, what did you come up with that answer, right? That's going to be incredibly important for businesses as they start integrating AI into their workflow. They want to have confidence that the answer they give to their clients is correct because there's liability if you don't, right? And so so that's one. The other one is is personas, which is you're starting to actually uh, want to actually make sure that the model operates in the way that you want it to operate as part of your business, right? It should not be saying inappropriate things. It should not be, you know, quoting inappropriate. <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Should not be doing those things. And so we have to train against personas, you know, and, and, and so that you know it, it can be trusted to operate in a business environment and not um, uh, not violate your corporate policies or any other types of rules. And so both those things are parts of what I said. Like you know, this is the equivalent of you're taking open source models, but then you got to do some work. Yeah, kind of like the way that you know the parallel would be again. You know, companies like Red Hat and other places taking open source, and then you got to do some work so that that model is now more robustified for an enterprise environment, so you can do business with it, right? And yeah. and that's kind of really where we play, where many of our um our uh, much of our investment is going into to try to figure out how to make it so that's easier for industries to be able to use the, these amazing capabilities that are available open, but in a way that you don't have to actually worry about all the downsides of it or as many of the downsides of it. Well, certainly a very exciting time. Rodrigo, thank you so much. A lot of food for thought in that, in that conversation. And I can't wait to see what Samvanova does next. Thanks again. Yeah, super excited. Thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to chatting again, Sally. Thank you very much, Rodrigo Liang, CEO of Samvanova, for the discussion. Plenty to think about there. That brings us to the end of the episode. Please tune in again next time to hear more news and views on AI, machine learning, and the technologies that enable them. If you're listening to this on the podcast page at eetimes.com, links to articles on topics we've discussed are shown on your left. AI with Sally is brought to you by Aspen Core Media. The host is Sally Ward-Foxton and the producer is James Ede. Thank you for listening. <laughs>